0: Listeners, this is the next episode of the In Development podcast. My name is Olivia and this is the podcast for all you city builders, city shapers and city dwellers out there that care about driving change towards people-centered communities. On In Development, we talk about how Canadian cities develop in and up. We are presented by Idea, the Infill Development and Edmonton Association, a nonprofit education and advocacy group bringing together like-minded people working to shape our city.
1: Our guest today is Nancy Serby, who's a friend of Olivia's, but also a self-appointed, insanely passionate creative who loves design. So when she's not working and she works extensively in design, she's researching, reading, discussing design, mostly with her husband, who's a carpenter. Um, in August of 2019, she stepped out on her own, creating NACO Design after 13 years of working with a group of talented architects and designers across various sectors and in various cities across Alberta. Um, this included leading designs on some high-profile mixed-use buildings. You might recognize some of them. Uh, the TELUS World of Science Planetarium. I'm a big fan of it. Um, Recreational facilities like Jasper Place Pool um, and also some boutique commercial spaces. She combines a extensive creative and technical background with her passion for travel, I'll say, from all over the world. She lived in Australia for a short stint. She is going to Copenhagen pretty quick. So um, she likes to uh, bring that travel experience into her designs and she approaches each project with authenticity and designs specifically to each client. Her focus has always been uh, function meets timelessness, and she quotes her clients are investing in forever, not trendy, which we go into a little bit in the episode. So this encourages collaboration with builders and makers within each city that her projects take. Currently, she works uh, all across Canada from BC to Nova Scotia. Um, The episode is um, fairly conversational. I don't think we have anything to um, define here, so I think we'll just jump right into the episode. Let's talk to someone building our city.
0: All right, welcome. Uh, the next guest that we have on today is Nancy Serby. Nancy is the director and founder of NACO Design, and she has worked with many talented architects and designers across various sectors. Um, I actually met Nancy back in 2014, working on towers and residential developments in Edmonton. And I remember that she was always very well-versed in both the creative and technical worlds. So she started her practice in Edmonton, but she now has projects across Alberta and BC. And when she is not working and not designing, she enjoys being active in the mountains, hiking or skiing, or being calm and practicing yoga. And I think she does this with her dog. Is that right, Nancy? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel
2: like he jumps on me when I do yoga, but the mountains and the hiking, sure. He he joins me on that.
0: Yeah. All right, um, when did you realize that you wanted to do interior design?
2: Well, actually, it's funny because I wanted to be a veterinarian. And so, grade nine, career day, up till grade nine, I had wanted to be a vet. And I did the whole job shadowing of a veterinarian, came back, did my presentation, was super psyched about it. And I'm sitting in class, and this other girl had gone and followed an interior designer uh, out in Vancouver. And she was doing her presentation. And I remember just sitting on the edge of my chair, just holy crap, is this a job? Like, could I actually do this? And um, having a mom who was a seamstress and really creative with fabrics and a father who was an engineer and always building and tinkering around with things, you know, it was natural to kind of build and move things like as a child as well. And I just didn't think that there could be a career out there around that. And we didn't have social media, we didn't have Google, we didn't have none of that stuff. Right. So I'm sitting watching this grade nine presentation thinking, Oh, my gosh. And so I went afterwards, did a bunch of research and thought that that would be one of my, my passions. So I actually didn't go into it right after high school, It took a little bit of, of time before I built up the confidence to think that I could actually do it. But um,
0: yeah, I went and did it. And here I am. That's yeah, so interesting. It's one of those things that sort of are always on the back of your head. But then, you know, I you know, when am i going to make the leap and then there's a turning point when you're like, I'm going to make the leap. And that's when I want to do it. You know, Um, so in working in the industry, you worked at uh, ATV, Kennedy and in Interscape. And I think you also worked in Calgary um, with the Nicholas Group and um, and they did infills in Calgary. I'm wondering what did you notice about what was different about working in infill in calgary and what and right now since you're very active in the infill space in edmonton how is that different in edmonton
2: that's a really great question because when i first moved to calgary that was at the very beginning of my career so in all honesty i didn't even know what an infill was i just had moved to calgary it was a company that was doing really modern homes, again, an aesthetic that I wasn't accustomed to seeing. And it was almost inspiring because they were challenging the traditional interior design. And for them, my, uh, my boss at the time was all about densifying. The goal of the company was to stay within a small radius of downtown Calgary and focus on duplexes, four plexes, eight plexes, and 16 plexes. And for me, I thought that was normal. Uh, I had done it for a number of years with them. It was a lot of fun. And so when I moved to Edmonton, I was really surprised that a lot of builders weren't doing that. I felt like Edmonton was, you know, a couple of years behind because even now, oh gosh, I've been back in Edmonton for almost 10 years I would say only in the last five of those 10 have I started to see some of that multifamily development in the inner city start to happen. And I get really excited about that because I think it just encourages a different way of living and to see Edmonton's response to that and the encouragement of that is just, yeah, I, I would say that would be the big, big biggest difference.
0: Yeah, and I think our city um our city actually has taken infill to um you know new levels, right? You know, they work with different amazing local firms uh here that are doing infill homes, custom homes, and you know, of course working with interior designers like yourself to um actually beautify uh these neighborhoods that are 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 are, are older in our city. Do you, do you find that approach to infill is is, is very different than say if someone that actually wanted to build a house, you know, way out in more of the periphery of the city and then their approach to uh, the conversations of what you have with um, design. And of course, how you look at infill, how you look at the site, how you look at, you know, your views and stuff like that. Is that different? It's a completely different conversation. Um, When you're
2: working in the inner city in an infill, you have, constraints, you have size constraints. And instead of building out, you're building up or down, and your space is smaller. And so with a lot of families, especially if you're growing families, but you don't want to move out of the core, it's all about the function and making every square foot of that house and that footprint matter. And so the conversation is really about function, flow, a lot of the floor plans are open. And I do see a movement away from that completely open front to back. I have a lot of clients that want that coziness. And how do you create coziness in a 17-foot wide, um, you know, long infill? Whereas when I'm chatting with um, clients out in the suburbs, for instance, it's more sprawling. It's, you know, an expanse of space. And what I would say would be a kitchen dining living room in an infill could just be a kitchen dining room in in the suburbs. So the function aspect of that is just a little bit different. I mean, there's always a function at the root of whatever my client is asking for. But how we approach it is different because of the, the size of the space.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. I think that um, designing a small is actually a lot harder than designing for really big spaces. You're, you have to prioritize your lifestyle, actually, when you're in a small space.
2: Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, especially when you ask clients to do that. And it's like, go through your kitchen and, you know, find out what appliances you actually use on a day to day basis. And like, let's let's design around that and whatever you're not using a day to day. Okay, where can we put that outside of your, you know, 10 foot zone in an infill?
1: Okay, Um, I want to hear about NACO design. Is it NACO or NACO? Or where, where did the name come from? First of all,
2: you know, what? it's so funny, because I've been pronouncing it NACO. And a lot of my clients pronounce it NACO, which because it's Nancy Corpney, which Corpney is my maiden name. I took N A K O. If you're saying it, it actually says like NACO, <laughs> but I pronounce it NACO. <laughs> okay,
1: <laughs> that that is an interesting story. Okay, so NACO. When when did you start? When did you start the firm? And uh, tell us a little bit about it.
2: Well, I started. I would say like a lot of entrepreneurs doing the side hustle. So I actually was around in 2014, 2015, I was taking on some side work, I just started to get more and more, like the referrals kept kind of coming. And it was funny, because 2018, 2019, I was having a conversation with my husband. And I said, Okay, I can't keep doing this. Like, I can't keep working eight to five, working during my lunch, and then working in my evenings you know, on my little side hustle, like, I got to do this. And so, you know, I, I, I took the leap, I went off on my own. And the funny thing is, is I'm working more than I did with the side hustle, and I'm working longer hours. So I really didn't do anything to change how much I was working. If anything, I'm working a lot harder, but uh, it's for me. And that's, what matters
1: yeah and here you are here you are like uh, man almost 10 years later that that's kind of crazy to think about i imagine hey well
2: yeah oh my gosh i guess that would it, it doesn't feel like it because i officially became naco in august of 2019 uh so i think i've given myself okay i'm in year oh this is year four but
1: yeah. But it's been, it's been long in the making. So, I mean, um, how, how did your, you know, studio other than, you know, having the autonomy over your own clients and your decisions and everything did kind of the, the design influence, has that always kind of been the same or um, did, did you kind of want to go out on your own and pursue different kinds of design aspects?
2: I feel as though it's a bit of both. Um, I really wanted to explore my voice as a designer and my style As um, a creative. And I think anybody who's in our industry, it's always evolving. And you're always trying to be innovative and different. And I find each project that I have, I'm like, okay, that was great, but how can we make it better? Or how can we do things differently? And so I feel in the last, I would say, four or five years, my style has really evolved to what you're seeing now. Um, But because I'm in the custom world, it's not necessarily the same, same, same. There's key elements, I would say, that reflect me and my personality and my style. But the essence is still my client and Nako.
1: Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about those design uh, styles and influences. Uh, Olivia obviously knows you really well and can probably pick it out. Um, I have some, I have some thoughts based on uh, your projects that I went through on the website, but first I got to close the loop. Um, You know, core values of NACO. uh, What, what are they?
2: Oh, authenticity uh, is, I would say the root of uh, my company and connection. I, love my clients we have a really great energy and I'm all about energy that you put out into the world is energy that you receive and so it's been a really fun journey interacting with all these unique personalities and creating different homes and spaces for each of them because everybody's different and I think there's the the design style and the design rules that you can really kind of keep constant but what's always changing is who you're working with and what their needs are. And that's been like the fun aspect of it. Um, authenticity is about having a voice and feeling comfortable. Um, not just with my team. I mean, I love listening to my girls and making sure that they're comfortable and that they feel confident in their roles, but also just with my clients, um, a lo- giving them the space to, feel as though they could voice an opinion, whether or not they agree or disagree with me. I think that's just really important, um, listening to your clients. And as soon as you open up to them a little bit, it gives them that that comfort to be like, oh, maybe I could voice this. And I could have this conversation with her. Um, because it's going to happen. It's inevitable in a in a project, good and bad.
1: Yeah, agreed. You mentioned there, uh, that you have a team with you. Is that right? So four years in, you already have a team. Hey, how big is it? And uh, what what kind of different strengths do y'all bring to the table?
2: Yeah, so there's four of us right now. um, And we're all a little bit different. (laughs) I'm still wearing all of the hats, uh, which I would say, you know, at four years, it's, I think it's going to happen. I also have a problem with delegating, so I'm still working through that. But (laughs) Uh, Jenna is an architectural design tech, uh, so she's doing primarily most of my drafting. Um, Having done 10 to 15 years of drafting myself and done the grunt work, um, I know what it entails, but I definitely needed to open up some opportunities for me to just design and you know, have the client relations. So Jenna is tackling all the drafting for me. Karen is my junior designer. She has just graduated from um, her degree program in interior design. And so she is just like ready to go and super vibrant and eager and almost a sponge. So that's been really fun to, to work with her and uh, to, you know, be at that early stage of her career. And then Kristen is kind of a—I I don't want to say jack of all trades, but she's kind of my design assistant, um, helping me out wherever I need help. Whether or not it's just a uh, "breathe, you got this" <laughs> kind of therapist <laughs> during the day in between meetings, or like running around getting samples. But everybody has a has a role, and that's. That was makes us great
1: that's that's wild olivia and i actually talk uh, a few times about how hard delegation is olivia runs a runs a studio here obviously i run a small little business as well and delegation is like the hardest thing in the world so um the fact that you have four people though that's that's an exciting amount of growth in the four years that you've considered yourself legitimate hey
2: uh is it <laughs> i guess uh i guess it would be um I I feel as though it's just been a lot of hard work, a lot of head down um, making the magic happen, and so I think sometimes when I sit back and when I hear people say, "Oh, you know, that's a lot for four years," then it's, "Oh, okay, great. I, I'm I am working hard, and it. it's starting to grow, and it's awesome." So. Thank you for that, just a little bit of a reminder.
1: (laughs) For sure, okay, now I wanna go into the heavy hitters here. So the design styles and the influences. So, I mean, you you talked about a few things here. First of all, uh, on your website, I noticed you, you reside in Canmore, is that right? Okay. I have to imagine that some of that beautiful nature makes its way into uh, some of your design aesthetic or is it a little bit of an influence? You're obviously outdoorsy um, but you know what I'm seeing is a lot of natural wood or a lot of natural looking wood in in some of your designs. Is that kind of a an non purpose thing or
2: Oh a hundred percent yeah, I find that just even being out in nature for five minutes is enough to calm the mind and just, you know, get the creative juices going. Um, A lot of my clients want this timelessness. They don't really want trendy and what helps create those spaces is looking to nature because it's always changing. It's always evolving. Um, it's always moving obviously with the seasons, especially here in Alberta. And so when you look at it in the way that the colors are all coming together and the materials, unexpected palettes happen, and you can derive from that and pull together, you know, wood, natural, like concrete, um, yeah, all of that stuff. So definitely a big, big inspiration for me.
1: Yeah, big fan, honestly, a big fan. The, the second thing I noticed is that your husband's a carpenter. <laughs> You know that, you know, you're halfway, well, not even halfway, like you are set up for a show on HGTV.
2: You know, the amount of people that have told me this, <laughs> like I could be a millionaire based on that.
1: You absolutely could. I'd watch the heck out of it.
2: Oh my goodness. You know what though? Um, I feel as though him and I are quite yin and yang. Anybody who has met my husband, uh would say Carl <laughs> would be the comic relief because he is kind of a sarcastic, dry humor, but also very quiet, whereas I'm the the talker, and maybe that would make us a good good host duo, but um, yeah, I think he gets a little camera shy
1: fair enough fair enough I mean there's always a, a good tv show has kind of a, a, a main protagonist and then you know somebody else well I, I would I would well, I'm just trying to produce your show for you here I would
2: okay well you talk to him for me and try and build up his confidence because that would be awesome yeah because <laughs> I'm still trying to get him to like Work with me, and I think the extent that we've gone is we rented a house in the first year of us dating, which probably was a bit ambitious, and <laughs> probably the reason why we're not working together right now. But
1: yeah, yeah, maybe in the future we'll start, we'll circle back in the future for sure. Okay,
2: that'll be like the four year, the 40, 40s or like the the ten year plan.
1: Yeah lots of time. Um okay, the other thing that I would notice uh if I was looking through your website is um maybe balance and I'm not sure if that comes from your yoga practice or um you've got uh well actually let me ask you, are you you're fairly outdoorsy? Are you like extreme in your hiking and skiing and backcountry stuff or are you uh, more casual?
2: Um, My husband would say, no, (laughs) she is not (laughs) ambitious. But I would say, yes, I push myself. I do challenge um, from where I was, you know, even five or six years ago skiing, I would say that I'm infinitely better and doing double blocks. So that's really fun. Mm -hmm. But still not like extreme outdoorsy in a sense of backcountry, other than hiking
1: for sure. And then, so, I mean, you also do yoga, which is, you know, kind of a balancing uh, grounding experience. So uh, if I said the word balance, does that, is that featured somewhere in your, uh, in your design aesthetic as well?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think balance is all about, well, sorry, let me rephrase that balance is not necessarily just style. It's feeling and uh, what takes up space in a room um, and ensuring that there are, like, if you have a big, big element, do you have a smaller element? Do the colors all work together? Um, High contrast, that could be balance. Um, Also, even like masculine and feminine and making sure that, There is like a cohesion and a complementary balance of those, right? Because, I mean, you don't want to walk into a, well, maybe sometimes you do want to walk into a space and feel completely feminine and completely masculine. And that's great. But I would say that the majority of my clients want a really nice balance of both. And I think that also relies on natural elements because that will help support that.
1: So what I notice is because you have like, um, there seems like the natural wood is the first thing that stood out to me, like it it seems to be featured in all of your projects. And I'm a sucker for it. I absolutely love it, which is timeless. And then you have like modern touches, you have a lot of black, really keen on this, on this kind of like balance between the two materials. So that's, that's really all I wanted to say. I think Olivia is going to ask about some specific projects.
0: Yeah, uh, no, I, uh, I'm just really enjoying the conversation, also listening to you Naz know, talk a bit about, um, uh, you know, some of how, uh, how how you live actually translates into your space, which is so important at the end of the day. And, and um, you know, I also really loved your comment about working with a great group, group of clients um, I was watching this talk the other day and uh, it was this it's with this um, Italian architect and he he said it whereas like if you've got a bad client you just get worse clients but if you have a good client you're going to get a better client to follow through which is and which is actually is a hands-on what I feel the industry is like you get a good client hang on to them and you will get good clients right after <laughs> but they- Speaking of, of, of a good client, which I think that this one I remember this one translated very well throughout your design process was the funky house project. And it's a, it's a renovation project that is located in, in Grosvenor. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, yeah. Correct, yeah. Yeah, and it's a it's a retrofitted house. It's it's a it's it's a renovated house and um, I think you guys preserved a lot of the existing features and design elements of, of the wood, of, of, you know, you didn't want to, you didn't want to strip away the character too much, but it looked, I, I found that the end result was incredible because, and I especially loved the element of play where you had that big net that sort of overcasted over the main floor, which allowed like a really great reading space. But, um, you designed it, so please tell me a little bit more about this project. <laughs> Um,
2: yeah, that one was an interesting one. So when I first came onto the project, the client had already gutted and renovated the second floor, and had demoed a lot of the main floor, but him and his family were living upstairs, And they were about nine months into their main floor renovation, and it had just hit a standstill. And so when he reached out to me, he It was more of a cry for help, really, because he had been living through this renovation that was not going anywhere. And what was stalling it was the direction and the lack of it. Uh, he just, He just didn't know what he wanted to do with the space, given the fact that the house had been designed by an architect and the main floor was a huge component of the integrity of the house. And what he had d- demoed, so, essentially, the kitchen was already outdated. There was really not a lot to it that we could have salvaged um but what was amazing about the guts of this was that all the walls and ceiling was cedar, and these massive beams were there, and the the beams were all really kind of i would say not like destroyed but like definitely weathered and the the wood-burning fireplace was unusable and the front entry had no flow it was two individual spaces with a traditional closet Um, and what I mean by traditional closet is just a framed in drywalled painted closet you know bifold doors and just like a rod and shelf so not really serving a, a function for a growing family and so when I came in the, the main priority was to be, okay, we got to keep the, the cedar. And we have to modernize this and work with the angles and the curves that um, are in, the, in the, the building. And so for me, it was taking a program of how the, the clients were living in their space. They used the front entry as like a primary, you know, entry and entrance and wanted to have it as like the mud room but they also wanted it to be a formal entrance. So we opened it up, designed in built-in cabinets to act as individual lockers for each person in the family and a whole cabinet just designated for shoes. But one thing that I absolutely loved about the original architect is in the kitchen and in the bathrooms, the cabinets all had integrated teak handles oh that's amazing and so as a little bit of a yeah it was so beautiful and I wish we would have been able to you know salvage that but instead we just kind of did our own little spin on it and I worked with Brett from WayGoods Kitchens and we designed in custom teak handles and like just it's such a little minor detail you probably wouldn't even notice it but when you come in it's just one of those details that really makes the space and also it's just like a a slight respect to the the original architect but yeah the kitchen itself was like a full gut and completely modernized it black cabinets which I wanted to keep it simple. There was just so much wood happening. So like let the wood be a statement and stand out and allow the kitchen to be quite bold, but still more of like a a supporting element to all of the wood. And then, yeah, the net itself was just a matter of using up this massive void from the primary bedroom down to the the living room. And initially there was um, a guardrail of glass that kind of went around it. And when you're in the bedroom, it actually obstructed from the views on the outside because there's so many windows. And so we thought, let's use that square footage and put a net in there and just have some fun for the kids. And just yeah, have a like a peekaboo down. So yeah, it was it was a really fun project.
0: Yeah, that I love the I love the element of play in it for sure. Um, and I think in that project, you work with quite a bit of uh, local trades and like artisans, correct? I think I remember Creek Collective and Forge 53, like all those. Uh, How was, what was that? uh, What was the creative process like with them? Um, Do you know, did you guys do a lot of back and forth with, uh, you know, like, was there a lot of workshopping with how the material, the interaction of the material, how the material should be manufactured? You know, so I, I like, you know, just, just conversations like that, you know, to have it, to actually, have that become influential in, in your design?
2: Oh, for sure. Um, I find with most of my projects, when I work with both of those guys, um, there is a lot of back and forth. Um, Most often where it's like, really, this is what you want to do. Okay. (laughs) Um, And it's a little bit more interesting. (laughs) Are you sure? Um, Like, well, for instance, this particular Island, Um, we went with a concrete on the full span of it and it was five foot, two or three inches by almost 10 to 11 feet long and three inches thick. Right. And so structurally, and I mean, well, half of it's also floating. So let's put that out there. (laughs) So we had to have a conversation about, okay, well, how do we actually support this, um, what does that structure look like and so it was really interesting because we ended up using uh brett from way goods to do the white metal that you see on the island support because we were integrating it as a detail into the cabinetry and so there was a lot of back and forth with him but then we also had to loop in Crete because they were doing the concrete on top of it and so understanding what the concrete material was going to be how much it was going to weigh um, and then obviously just the overall aesthetic and maintenance of concrete we just had to have almost like a little info session with the client as well just kind of looping him in to make sure that he understood what he was kind Kind of getting into but for me concrete was the best choice for that space given that there is so much cedar wood around it uh, we were kind of going for this industrial um, mod mid-century vibe um, the client had a ton of collected pieces from the last you know decade plus and so it was really just trying to give him a space to to showcase that but then even just like forge, forge would say that this was an easy one for them because we were realistically wrapping a new wood-burning fireplace, creating a little alcove for uh, the firewood. They would say that, yeah, okay, this was a good one, but yeah. Not as intense as some of my other projects where Mike and I are sharing our screens with SketchUp, going back and forth and talking about all the intricacies of... How, install and material. But.
0: Yes, I, I I actually love concrete with wood. It's, uh, it's a smart choice. Um, I'm just going to pivot here and um, actually talk a little bit about some challenges and some barriers that you have with you know past uh, projects or even, even the ones you're recently working on right now. What kind of challenges have you been facing? Like one that you think about a lot and then you're like, I need to this is something that I eventually want to overcome you know, or if something I need to work around with or put it into my practice? Right. So for me,
2: I'm working in an industry where there's a lot of players. So I do work with a number of builders and each building team has a different way of doing things. So initially, the challenge that I was facing was, My communication style and the way that I stay organized doesn't necessarily work straight across the board. And you have to pivot the way that you speak with people, the way that you follow up and write emails and create boundaries. You know, not every builder is working just eight to five. There's some builders that work beyond those hours. And as soon as you start having conversations outside of those hours, you're kind of inviting them into that boundary space. Um, But also, to just understanding their methods of communication and not necessarily getting frustrated with it, but trying to understand how it's working for them and how do I work with that to make sure that the project is still really efficient and organized. The client feels as though the team is working together to, to make the build happen. And it's still as stressless as possible as possible. Although like anybody who's built a house, even if you know what you're doing, it's still going to be stressful. Like it's, I always laugh when realtors are like, Oh, buying a house is the most stressful thing you're ever going to do. And it's like, no building, building a house is infinitely more stressful. But yeah, I would definitely say the biggest challenge that I, I would right now even is just the communication and organization uh or organizing um with builders
0: yeah i, I think you bring up such an interesting point because uh it's very similar to me as well too i have you know with the large team you know these projects actually require a team just essentially you need a team that um and you always, always need to be on the same page. Hmm. And sometimes navigating um, different working styles, different backgrounds, it's, it's so, it definitely could hurt, it could make or hurt a project really, really easily. And um, I definitely find that I've been working a lot on um, empathy because I think trying to really understand, and, and this, is, this is not about, you know, it's different than sympathy. Like if you're not, you're not trying to, feel sorry, or, you know, put emotions into it necessarily. But empathy is actually really understanding where that other parties coming from what they're looking out for. And I think I think uh, I've, I think I've done well with like clients, but it's, it's, it's tricky. Um, it's tricky when it comes to uh, contractors as well, too, because there is, they have such a huge wealth of knowledge that, you know, it takes, it takes, 17 to like 20 years it, it just takes a long time to to figure it out and I think I find with trades too is that they're such they're people that practice and the people that work with their hands and that's something that um I think it deserves a massive amount of respect you know. Mm-hmm. I
2: I do agree and it's one of those things too that as a female walking onto site where it's primarily men and especially when I was young, like in my mid twenties and I'm walking on and you, I mean, you have to have confidence. So it's not like you're strutting on, but you're walking on on site, you know, kind of a few things, but you really don't know anything. And you're chatting with guys who have been in the industry, like you said, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. And they look at somebody like me and think, Hmm, does she even know what she's doing? And I think over the course of my career thus far, it's been a challenge to find my voice. But at the same time, respect is mutual. And so when you show up on site and you're showing everybody, you know, the level of respect that you want to receive, then it just makes things easier. And it's never going to be off on the first go, I find, I mean, I have a couple trades that by on the first time I met them, I'm like, oh, God, oh, God, he hates me. And this is not going to be good. He definitely doesn't think I know what I'm talking about, even though I knew like what I was talking about. Well, we're on build three and we're like best friends. He's just like, hey, how's it going? Yeah. How's your
1: weekend? Right. And it's too.
2: just it's just working with people and being patient, too. Right. And not just walking on, on site and thinking that everything's just gonna be handed to you because it's not.
0: No, no, exactly. First impressions are hard, Nance. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So um, I think uh, we talked about this too. And I, um, a lot of the time I, you know, um, we definitely really talk about how investment in, you know, good quality, in good quality design, which is inclusive of, you know, Your materials, your, um, your finishes, and even, even the, even actually paying attention. Let's draw it back. Even paying attention to the site itself, you know, how it's influencing, uh, your interiors. Like all that are, are qualities to, um, to make things last longer. I know you echo, I know, I know we speak a lot about that and you echo that sentiment quite, uh, quite strongly as I do. And, um, you know, you value about doing it right the first time. So, you know, when you, when you are with clients, when you're, or even when you're talking with the team, the team, including the builder, including, or even including um your team, your studio team, how does that, con- what's that conversation like? So they make sure that, you know, doing it right the first time is actually really worth the money and the time spent on it. Mhm. I mean,
2: yeah, we have talked a lot about this. It's a topic that just keeps revolving because I think it is so important. And when, you know, the conversation of being environmentally friendly and climate change is just so prevalent in all of our conversations, I think it would be a little naive to ignore it. Um, as you're designing and approaching each project, I think it comes down to just education. And a lot of clients just don't know. And so taking the time to walk through the process with them and let them know what the options are. Because if they don't know, then how are they going to be able to make the decision for themselves? And with it, a lot of my clients have spent a good chunk of their time saving their money. Like a custom home is an investment. It really is. And a lot of my clients have been saving to make it happen. And so for them, they don't want to do this two or three or four times. They're investing in a home that they're planning on staying in, you know, 15, 20, 25 years. I mean, I have young couples that are already taking um, like long-term care into consideration when we're space planning you know and like they're late 30s early 40s and it's okay understanding corridor widths and turning radiuses and you know that that water closet that every couple needs to have (laughs) they you know like is it wide enough for a wheelchair to go in and sure they don't need an elevator right now but you know They're making provisions for that. So when you're already having conversations about the longevity of the house, it's just natural to talk about the materials that go into that house that's going to support that longevity. What's going to hold up not only timelessness as far as a design aesthetic, but what's going to hold up to somebody living in that space and being robust and the wear and tear that is naturally going to happen when you are living in your house. And so when you dial it back, like you were saying, and just looking at site and looking at the materials, it's just understanding how who's going to be living in this in this house, in this space, what materials support that, and how do you educate your client on how to make the decision. And 10 out of 10, maybe, well, maybe 8 or 9 out of 10, because usually there are still budget constraints. Um, you know, they're going to go for the long-term option, even if it means more of a cost upfront.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, it's, it's so, it's actually cool that to hear that there uh, that you have clients that are looking into uh, multi-generational living. We just had an episode where we were talking about multi-generational living and it's such a, it's a, it's a, it's a key thing. I'm a huge believer in it. It's a key thing um, that I think is going to really help with um, our, our house, our, our housing supply and as well as um, building community as well too so
1: yeah I, i'm curious about you touched on it in a few places here but what uh, what are your clients asking for that you need to educate them what are what are kind of the the pinterest boards that you're receiving showing
2: i would say the biggest one is cabinetry some millwork uh, and what material is going on there are we using a recon veneer wood veneer real wood And then the next part is how much drywall are we seeing? Can we reduce the level of drywall that we're receiving? And I know that's not so much like a, yeah, it's, which is, it's funny because that could have a huge impact on how you feel in the space. Just a little side tidbit there. Um, And the one project that we just finished, we explored using a lot of wood on all the walls instead of drywall. And it just, it changes the vibe, but Um, Definitely cabinets, for one, would be the biggest uh, topic of conversation. And then two is countertops and backsplashes. Um, So natural materials. So what are you putting into your kitchens and bathrooms that are going to hold up? And obviously, like marble is one of the, the points of discussion and the durability and the maintenance, like granite and quartz. Um, but then also too, just because quartz seems to be the option that is, that hits all the ba- like buckets as far as maintenance and durability and price point. Well, okay, now where are we getting it from, right? Are we shipping it from overseas or are we looking locally? There's a lot of really great Canadian producers of quartz that we can get it here, And so we're already reducing the footprint of shipping and also to what it's made out of, you know, understanding what goes into a quartz countertop. I mean, I could could really deep dive on this, but I might bore a bunch of people. Um, But it's to that level, right? It's every material that you have, you can look at it as uh, what is it? Where is it from? How is it made? and what shipping like what country is it being shipped from right when you look at those four things right across the board then that's what you're educating your client on
1: yeah that, that makes a ton of sense so did you did any of this change kind of post-pandemic with uh w- with the way that we kind of have our supply chain uh handled right now
2: uh i would say no um Yeah, I would say no. I think the questions are still out there and the uh, building, we're still building, right? So you're still addressing all of the same things. The delays that COVID has caused, um, I think, if anything, forced us to look even more uh, locally. So, what is within not necessarily BC? or Saskatchewan or Ontario, but what's actually within Alberta. And what was really fascinating during COVID, because people were either feeling inspired or had more time to pursue their passion projects, there was a lot of these little companies starting to pop up. Oh, you need woodworking? We can do that. You need concrete work? We can do that. And so all of a sudden, what was out of province now there were so many options even within Edmonton that we could pull from and that was really really exciting and I think that would be the biggest change that I like saw out of COVID.
1: Interesting yeah and what about uh, with space planning have you seen kind of an evolution of um, how people want to arrange their space a little bit as well or um, anything like that I, I know you mentioned earlier that Uh, you know, the, the comfiness or the enclosure is starting to make a little bit of a comeback is, is that kind of what you're seeing?
2: Uh, I would say yes. Um, Yeah, I would. It's again, client dependent. And also too, I find they are still having conversations with their architectural designer a lot more in depth before meeting with me, but with some of my clients moving forward, I am being looped in in the early design stages. And so I can give voice to that a little bit more because usually by the time it gets to me, it's okay, how do we actually change um, the way a a space feels within the parameters that I've been given?
0: Um, I just wanna add, Nance, if you ever go on HGTV or uh, any sort of show, I would totally talk granite and quartz. (laughs) (laughs) And what how, and 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 all all those all those details I totally talked to the difference with you. I'll probably probably focus on like thermal clips for thermal bridging. On <laughs> how, yeah. we'll make it super interesting that way.
2: Oh yeah. Who wants to talk about polymers? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what percentage of quartzite is in your quartz?
0: I okay, know exactly. <laughs> um I know that uh of course like as designers you know we are working with uh we work with people a lot with different perspectives different backgrounds different upbringing um but of course you know there's always you know some stuff that ultimately inspires us and I want to talk to you about what inspires you you love to travel
2: so I love traveling yeah yes I just it's it's funny because I feel that design is such a lifestyle for me. I could look at the side of a building and feel inspired by the way that two materials come together. And then that now is my new screen detail. Definitely traveling, though, I think has been the biggest eye opener because it's understanding how other cultures live and breathe in their spaces and come together with all their colors and materials. And, um, I think that's just been, I think the biggest eye opener as far as what I've been able to pull into my designs. Mm-hmm. Then again, what's funny is that most of the places that I've traveled to are vivacious and colorful and pattern like there's so much pattern and when you look at my work there's not a lot of that it's really pared down it's this real soft minimalism and um, natural palette and so I'm really excited because I'm going to Copenhagen uh, next month uh, for two full weeks and I just feel as though that has been what I've been waiting for because a lot of my inspiration comes from um, the Scandinavian world but I've also lived in Australia and so I've pulled some design inspiration out of there and so I think it's just like you don't have to be connected to just one place I think you can feel inspired by multiple cultures and ways of doing things um, and then just
0: piecing it together on what works totally I love that I love that Um, I like and I, I get inspired by food (laughs) <laughs> like there's something about the there's something about the kitchen table. There's something about the kitchen table and how you know you know your your dishware and how things are plated and how your cutler gets assembled. It changes the design of your kitchen table and how you are arranged around around the around just that piece of furniture. So. Like when your brother-in-law and your sister come over and you guys have your
2: arrangements of all this Italian food and it's like, there's just so much life to it. And I think that's what you, I mean, I think that's kind of what you're saying is that as soon as you start arranging food on the plates and bring in even um, some flowers and some branches, all of a sudden your table has life and then the people around it are just socializing. Now you've got your experience, so...
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So um, it was I loved having you on this episode, Nance. Um, We have a call to action with idea. So I would like to know what your call to action is for our listeners.
2: Okay, well, I gave this a lot of thought. um, And time and time again, Carl and I've talked about this. So I thought, uh, this is probably more for people that are in the process of building. But Educate yourself. So as a client, if you are looking to build a house, ask questions. I mean, you don't have to go out and talk to 10 or 15 different builders, but pick a handful of builders that you're really drawn to, or even designers that you're drawn to. I mean, I would even start there because designers and architectural designers, they're, they they work with kind of everybody, right? And so they're going to give you some really great insight as far as process, styles of communication, um, organization. Um, And I think that's, those are like three key components to having a really successful project, because it's not just having a really good builder, it's having a really great team, and somebody who's able to orchestrate all of that. And so as somebody who is building a house. I mean, do your due diligence. Go out, have the conversations, understand how a builder is approaching the project. What are their core values? Are they excited about your project? You might, I like, I, yeah. So like, to me, that's just like the biggest thing. Um, and also, to don't be afraid to ask for references and get in touch with people that are not just having built a house with them but also going through the process with them currently i think is a, a really great
0: insight love that i absolutely agree and and we're not that scared we actually really like questions oh totally <laughs> Love questions yeah um thanks so much for being on this episode nancy um and it was it was a pleasure talking to you thank you so much for having me both of you
1: really nice getting to know you nancy Olivia, you need to have more of your friends come on the podcast. That was pretty exciting. And uh, she's very passionate about design. The intro and the bio that she gave us definitely held true.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I really love talking to Nancy because she just is really passionate about design and she can get into details and have a huge conversation about them. So it, it, was, it was really fun.
1: You're, you're passionate about design too. Um, is that how you two bonded? Because I'm assuming you worked together previously.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, And traveling. I think traveling was also the hugest thing too. I always love to do photography when I go travel as well. And I think she really caught on to that. And I think we just bonded over that really, the first minute, I think like the first or second day when we were at our, when we were working together in the studio. And then, yeah, we talked a lot about design and, you know, kind of things that surround design. It's not just about, um, uh, the building, or just the space itself, but other elements that you know make up design. Which it could be furniture, it could be jewelry, it could be clothing. Yeah, yeah. The
1: uh, the question that you asked that I thought was fantastic was uh, when you asked her what inspires you. I think that's such a good question, especially for someone that works in kind of like trendy fashion uh, design style type um, industries. So you mentioned that food was uh, your inspiration and she mentioned your Instagram page, which I'm not familiar with. Maybe walk me and the listeners through uh, how food inspires you and, and what, what we can find on your Instagram page.
0: Um, So my Instagram page actually has more fashion because <laughs> I actually love clothes. Um, I, I did. Well, I think uh, when I, uh, I talked about a little bit on the podcast with on the episode with me, and talked a little bit about uh you know a year doing textiles but i love clothes but food was food was uh huge in that because i was uploaded onto my stories and i think that's i think that one gets a lot more of audience but other than that the food is huge just because i'm all about there's some there's something about sharing a very, very um, great experience around a round table and around a meal. Like it brings people together. I I think, uh, you know, if you look at how that, how, you know, gatherings around a meal has evolved, it's it's always, there's always something about it that, you know, when we get together for holidays, there's, it's always around a meal. When we get together for um, even social activities, it's always around a meal. And I think that I think it's the experience of it. And I think maybe that translates into something pretty spatial, you know?
1: Yeah, that's, that's fascinating.
0: Yeah. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I, th- <laughs> I definitely think so. And it, it's funny because Mariah and I talked about previously how like um, the kitchen is kind of like the quasi gathering space for everyone. Like you're, you're hosting a party it's around a meal, but inevitably everyone's just kind of hanging around where the meal is taking place or being served or being prepared or whatever in the kitchen. So, so Mariah and I kind of differed on our opinions about like, you know, the open concept kitchen versus a kitchen that's enclosed or in a galley or something like that, because um, of, of where you want people congregating, but yeah, no, that, that makes a ton of sense. I love that. Uh, myself, I am very inspired by, uh, the outdoors. So maybe a little bit different than, than Nancy, but I'm now that the weather's nice, like I've been in the garden, like every single night, it's kind of where I, um, you know, I'm, uh an amateur photographer myself and i take lots of pictures of plants mostly to document i have this like folder that i document all of these little weeds and plants that pop up um because i i I have a naturalized garden in, in front of my house but i don't know what everything is so year out year to year i like document like the growth of these little plants until i know how big it is um and then i know what it actually is whether or not i need to get rid of it or if it can stay and it'll actually look nice in the garden so um yeah, it's it's funny cuz my wife has to like call me in like I'm a, like I'm a kid at the park or whatever like, "Ryan, come in for supper, come in for bed" or whatever like <laughs> um, that's that's kind of my happy place and I try to um I'm a my my brother's a landscape architect. So we always had very big dreams of, you know, uh, incorporating the planning and landscape architecture into some like fascinating little urban design thing here. But that's, that's what I think makes good public spaces. Um, yeah. So the outdoors for me, um, another, another thing that she was talking about was, uh, struggles with studio roles and delegating, which I know you and I agree on as well. Um, what, what were your thoughts when she was talking about that?
0: Yeah, that one was, that one was really relatable. Uh, delegating is something where um, I think a lot of designers struggle with, but we got to do better at it because you you do need to share certain types of your skill in order to grow. I, I just think that's just how it is. You can't do everything yourself, um, especially in especially in architecture. I find that it's 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 a you need a big team. You need a big you you, you need people with um, you need people that can help you uh, bring a building into fruition. And it's, and it's, and putting it on yourself is quite, I think it's, it's a lot of pressure. And it's not easy. So good delegation, though, it's not just like, toss it off and, and, oh, hope this junior will sink or swim. You know, <laughs> I think that's, I think, I think that's a little bit, that, that could be a little bit cruel, but yeah. I think good delegation uh, requires, uh, I think we talked about in the episode, like really good communication, um, you know, making sure you convey intent and uh, walking through how you did it. You know, uh, at the end of the day, it's designed. So, you know, probably somebody can do it a bit differently than you, but I think it's always good to. Uh, start off the conversation with how you would approach it and then that person can sort of take it where they would like to take it yeah what are your thoughts
1: well uh there were a couple things yeah i felt very seen when she was talking about that too uh, when i started my company it was just me so that was um you know transitioning to having uh, other people to delegate tasks to was a little bit challenging because I'd been so used over a couple of years just doing everything myself. And I'm a little bit of a perfectionist control freak, so there was there was a, an element to that as well. But I think we all kind of share similar things. We all kind of like mentorship. you you have a big mentorship um, angle at your studio, too, don't you?
0: yes, i I believe in mentorship. I think um, yeah. I think a lot of how my experience was, Uh, in architecture wasn't that I I don't think I got great mentorship Mm. Um, and I think that narrative needs to change I think sometimes you know being designers or and 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 architect architecture is also very competitive so you almost don't want to share your secrets and everything like that but sometimes it's good to share knowledge and I think sometimes it helps to figure out you know if you are going through something similar you don't feel so alone Yeah, isn't that? I think that's a better that's a better narrative.
1: Yeah, that makes makes sense. I'd I'd be because I, man, I I had kind of the same experience. I I had a really good mentor at my first job, but then beyond that, I had terrible mentors. So maybe there's like something to it. Like we're trying to give back or you know redo, make sure somebody didn't have the same experience we did. I'd be curious to see what Nancy's experience was if it was kind of the same because the way she was talking. Um, she was talking about like teams and complementary skills, but she's like really focused on the, the mentorship and the juniors. And I, I think that's I, like, I think that's super important. So we have to kind of raise the minimum level of, of everybody. And I don't want to be the company that, you know, some like intern starts working with and then ends up quitting the profession entirely because of a lack of mentorship or something. So that, that would be tough to take.
0: Agree, agree. And, and also it's, it's really part of community building and, you know, we talked about how there isn't enough of a dialogue with with architecture design in here because there's no school, you know, and there's no there's no platform. So the only way to do it in Edmonton is to start talking to each other. And that's and, and then um, it was interesting, too, because she mentioned uh, the other struggle she did mention was being young and also a woman on a job site especially since she is, um, you know, she started when she was a lot younger, you know, you don't know as many things. And it's intimidating walking into a room full of men. And um, actually, even then, uh, I think there are also older women in the role. I just don't want to, I don't want to, like, single out just men. because I think yeah. there, are also, <laughs> there are also women in a very upper senior position that office, obviously judge you because of your age uh and how much how many years of experience you have and of course you know what you look like
1: yeah yeah so
0: that yeah i don't know that's because you and and you mentioned that you know when you were young too ryan you must have you had challenges because you're trying to also figure it out while learning you know
1: it's hard. It's hard. You're like trying to fit in with a group that you like can't really relate to because they're in either a different generation or a, so a couple examples. So when I was coming up, um, when I was a teenager, actually I worked for my dad's company, which was, uh, an automotive repair shop, so it was like trades adjacent. But I, like I didn't fit in with those group of guys at all. Like I was going to university, and they all went to the School of Hard Knocks or whatever they called it. But it was it, so I kind of I, I kind of understand what she was saying. Like walking onto a job site with tradies and, and not speaking the same language that that was really tough. Coming out of school and then jumping into a job as well, that was like that was so intimidating. With you know planners, and I'm lucky. Like I said, I had a good mentor in my first job, but. Um, <laughs> it's so intimidating and then like going up and fr- like talking to other departments like not knowing the the jargon to use or the language to use or what to wear when to speak do i need to tell them what my favorite color and favorite dinosaur is like do i have to seem interesting that was like all of this kind of like not politics but kind of an internal struggle outside of just like doing my job that was really uh tricky i would say to navigate is that is that kind of what you you felt too coming up in the, the design world
0: oh that's absolutely especially coming out of school i can really relate to first coming out of school um the the jargon was really hard to pick <laughs> out yeah because it, yeah. it, it wasn't you're not using the the concept or you know the building of the poeticness of your architecture like no one cares about that you know it was a lot more about um Actually, it is so interesting. My experience definitely did start it off with figuring out how to use the zone, like how to use city regulations to develop your architecture, right? So that was a hard one to wrap around Wrap around once you get out of school because there's a lot of document, there's a lot of information out there, and sometimes you don't know which one is reliable, and same thing, and then getting into more technical pieces such as the code, and now there's the energy code, like there's... There's a lot to there's a lot of resources up there but you got to it takes it takes a while to figure out which one is the go to. And um I've been definitely trying to make sure that our studio is referencing the right one or you know who are the who who are the people in our studio that actually are very very te- uh well technically versed who to talk to and and that's the only way to learn and absorb but it's it's a learning curve. I just think that, I think if I was to uh, go back to my younger self, I would tell her uh, not to be discouraged. And I would tell her to ask more questions. What, what would you say to your younger self?
1: Yeah, don't worry so much about what people think of you, I think. Because I cared a lot about that when I, uh, um, like I said, a lot of it was like trying to project myself and like trying to mimic the way other people were projecting themselves to try to fit in which um, I care less about now, but they, but that's, that's something I would tell myself for sure. Hard. Like, you know, I have junior people on my staff now. It's like, I'm not going to say that to them. (laughs) I don't think they're going to like, I I don't know. I would say it to myself. And I don't know if I would say it to them. That's kind of funny. Hmm.
0: Yeah. I don't know what I would say to uh, my junior staff either. I definitely have been encouraging them to ask questions. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest one. And also what to prioritize for sure in design, because you can go into like a loophole with design. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but but then speaking of, I think that's why um, I go back to my earlier comment about why you need a team. I think a yeah. team, like a good team is super important. You know, you can't do everything yourself, Ryan. Like <laughs> you have, there's a lot of work out there, but it there's a lot to do for each project. Yeah. So it's, it is working, it is about learning how to work together with a different, with other disciplines and with um, people who are also specialists in certain spaces, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I could never do hospitals. I'm just <laughs> not, that's not my expertise. I'd be terrible at it. And I would always say, yeah, no, um, I have the right person to uh, re- refer you to. But to take it on myself, it'd be, I just think it'd be detrimental to the project and the client.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know? If, yeah, if they need a photographer, that's where, that's yeah. where you stepped in. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, then, then I can help out a bit.
1: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, um, we have to shout out josh today so josh is actually uh, our newest planning intern at uh, at our company um he just started on monday he's super eager you know trying to mentor him as best i can but he said he uh, listens to the podcast and i don't know if he said that just to suck up to me um, or not but uh, regardless if you're if you tell me that you listen to the podcast i'm gonna shout you out so thanks for listening josh so yeah thanks for hanging out with me olivia and until next time don't stop exploring our city and the communities that surround you